Welcome, everyone, to the latest episode of the Here's Johnny podcast. I am your host, Larry. And for the second time, I am your other host, Justin. Yes, we are recording. We had to uh, start this over again. <clears throat> you, didn't need to, you didn't need to out yourself. It's all yeah, good. whatever. <laughs> so as you can tell by the title of the episode, this is our Dead Space interview. This is something yep. we have been working on in the background, honestly, since our interview with Nick Brazia and uh, Mike Manello for In Search of the Eyeless Man. Um, Nick has been so wonderful, and he actually was able to get together Chuck Beaver, who was the producer on Dead Space 1, 2, and 3, and Ben Swanson, who was a former uh, EA community manager, and now he works over at Ubisoft, um, to come on. The three that came on, and we talked Dead Space for an hour, and yeah, it was and uh, pretty cool. You know what? Honestly, that was uh, – obviously, we're recording this after the <laughs> fact, Yeah, but hot damn. It was, that it was, was really awesome. That it was, was really, really awesome. Good. Not only that, but like – Again, I am new to the franchise. I still have one more to play, but this is something that's been very important to Justin. So uh, he put in all of the legwork. Usually, like I, when it comes to interviews, I'm, I'm usually the one kind of conducting it. But yeah, absolutely. I wanted it to. I wanted this to be Justin's. This is our first big video game interview, and uh, it was big. It meant a lot to me to give you the reins, and it was pretty cool. I think you did a great job. Thank you. Yeah, I I, I know there was a there, there are some uh, <clears throat> silences because I didn't want to. Uh, uh, over you were anybody. awestruck. It's okay, but uh, I mean, I think I mean we've already kind of talked about this before recording, but I think this is like you said. I think this is our best interview. There's a couple of things in there that are like uh, Justin feels or maybe surprises to the Dead Space community at large. So make sure you definitely listen to all the way to the end. Um, a couple of notes before we push play and hop on into it. Uh, we want to say thank you to our newest patron Eddie. He has uh, become a patron at the level where he gets to force a video game and a movie on us. So we'll have two new things to add to our alien season, um, which is awesome because I think we're having a hell of a time with it. Uh, and just for a little bit of a confidence boost, Eddie, you can't pick anything as bad as Marcus. I'm sorry, Marcus, I have to say it. <laughs> I mean, Blasto has scarred me and has hurt me in a way that nothing else has. Uh, and... Uh, yeah, but just thank you, Eddie. It means the world. Yeah, Whenever yeah, someone really donates even anything, it just it literally just means everything because Jay and I started this as a a little hobby after kind of wanting watching UFF do it for so long. And I mean, here we are an episode talking about a new patron and we just interviewed a bunch of guys who made one of the video like horror video game classics. So what a time. Yeah, it's 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 uh it's insane. Uh just kind of also a heads up. Uh, we, if you are a patron, I'm going to try to upload the video and, mm -hmm. uh, I am in the works of transcribing the episode as well <clears throat> in case you want to, uh, read it. And that'll be on the website as well. So you can, yeah. if you want to just read it, you can go and do it there. Yeah. But, uh, uh -huh. again, thank, I mean, thanks to Nick. He thank you. Really so, liked... Thank you to Nick so much. And then obviously thanks to Chuck and Ben for coming oh, on. Absolutely. It was, it was a blast and it was, you know, it was a blast to have them basically reconnect in front of us, which was, it was weird. Yeah, to like... so it's been a long time since they've done that, but that's yeah. all. We'll say it all for you. Yeah. So we will not be back at the end of the interview where it's going to fade out, let you kind of enjoy it. Next week is our review of Predator. Super excited about it. Um, Very excited about it. I love that movie so much. I, It might not score as well because I think the how scary Mark isn't going to come close. And as we know, one category can, can crush you. Uh, but that is next week. We'll go into more detail. And Justin, honestly, I think after that, we should probably have an episode where you and I just like catch up because it's been so much has happened since we took our little hiatus from your wedding that like, 
I think we should like do a catch up episode, talk about what we've been working on, what's been going on in our lives, what's coming up soon. I think we have a lot has happened and we haven't really processed it. We haven't talked yeah. about you getting your um your position over at Nintendo Network, right? Nintendo, Nintendo Link. Link. Uh, you're getting now you're getting paid to review video games, which is so cool. Um, yeah, so we should talk about that, I think. But I, I've been thinking that might be a way to go. Play that epic music for Dead Space. Let's get into the interview. All right, so we can get it going then. I know we only have you guys for an hour, and so we want to be respectful of your time. Uh, So I think the best way to get started is for the audience. It's the podcast to kind of get used to your voices. So if you just want to go around, uh, we can start with Chuck, and then we can go to Ben, and then do Nick since you've been here before, and just kind of quickly introduce yourselves, your relation to Dead Space, and then we can get going. Good. Uh, hello, I'm Chuck Beaver. I was a producer on Dead Space 1, 2, and 3, and also one of the co-writers on 2 and 3, and the transmedia as well. Super cool. Ben. Uh, yes, my name is Ben, uh, and I was the community manager on Dead Space 1 and 2, and part of 3, uh, and all the transmedia and properties as well. Cool. And Nick, it's wonderful to have you back again. Thank you, thank you. So I'm Nick Braccia. Uh, you might remember me from the Video Palace episode, but with respect to Dead Space, uh, working at various agencies, um, was a creative director and director across different uh, content programs um, that assisted with the world building. Awesome. So I'm mainly going to let Justin direct this. He has been so excited to talk to you guys ever since Nick brought it up during the uh, Video Palace interview. But the oh, yeah, first I question... I knots right now, so... <laughs> <laughs> so the first question that I have, and usually we have new guests on, we try to like kind of break the ice and kind of get to know them in regards to horror. Uh, we have a lot of questions. We kind of trimmed it down for this so Justin could have all his time talking about Dead Space. <laughs> So for Chuck and Ben, I am curious, what is your favorite scary movie and what is your favorite horror game? There you go first. Oh, my favorite scary movie. It's kind of on the edge of the genre. It's it's not quite scary, scary, but it's Fight Club. I okay. don't know if that really counts as a scary movie, but it's such a masterpiece overall that I'm going to call it that. Okay. Uh, and my favorite horror game is for sure inside say that's actually my favorite game period not just horror game okay perfect ben uh yeah uh, so horror movies i would say classics would be alien um and uh just get something new out of watching it every time i do Uh, recently uh, Hereditary, it's not super recent, but that was really fantastic. And I just watched a new one the other night called The Medium, which was, a, it's a, a Thai film about like a, a medium, which is, I, I love, there's always great new horror movies, but I'll mm-hmm. go with Hereditary and <laughs> uh, and uh, Alien. 
And then for games, you know, Dead Space, obviously. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I'm all personally, I think uh, Silent Hill and Silent Hill Two were both, uh, you know, rock my world when I was uh, a kid. <laughs> Up late choices. at night. Good choices. Yeah. All right, Justin, enjoy yourself, buddy. I'll be here helping. <laughs> so, so I, I guess we could all kind of just start this by asking all of you. What kind of brought you guys into EA slash Visceral Games and onto the Dead Space project? Uh, uh, <laughs> uh, so how did I get on a Dead Space project? Well, I was already at Visceral Games before it was Visceral. It was just the game of chores. Uh, I'd worked there for a number of years on the James Bond games. Oh, um, okay. Yeah, and we had just finished from Russia with Love and... Um, Glenn had gotten together from the Lord of the Rings teams and come to work with us on a From Rush With Love game with Condry. And they wanted us to do another Bond game in a really short cycle. And um, that was the beginning of the creation of Dead Space. There's a <laughs> lot of dominoes that began to fall, um, a lot of which um, I love Glenn to death. And his giant brass falls basically began at that moment and from that point to the dead space finding on the dotted line you know as a as a effort uh, was all his doing and so he created a team uh, invited all of his uh, developers he wanted onto the dead space team and i was lucky enough to get picked and got pulled into the dead space uh, first dead space one team from that um so i was just kind of there at the right place uh working with the right people at the right time and i got pulled onto the team Um, I can go next. Uh, so um, one of the things just uh, that's a bit odd about me is I'm actually like a second generation video game industry person. Um, but my dad started working at EA when I was eight years old um, as a art director on Sega Genesis games and building the, the department there. So he worked on the Strike series. If you're familiar with like Desert Strike, he worked on Road Rash, things like that. And by the time I got out of college, uh, I was uh, um, he was more in the marketing and brand development. Um, And I had like a PR job working on middleware tech stuff and hated it. And he was like, well, we got this new like Internet department at at EA and you should check it out. And, um, you know, this was like really the early, early stages of, you know, it was before social media um and uh so I, I joined their digital marketing department essentially um and you know i had uh was fresh-faced loved video games was so thrilled to be there and one of the first projects i had a privilege to work on was dead space and i was a horror fanatic and uh definitely a little weirder than some of the other marketing people who were more in the the madden uh zone Um, so I felt so at home, uh, more so I think, uh, with, you know, that team, but, um, I was just in, in heaven, uh, when I started seeing this game. So that's so awesome as a horror fan to, and being at EA and not getting stuck with Matt and actually getting to start off with horror. That's so cool. I'll, uh, I'll try to make mine quick. So I was in an agency at the time called Deep Focus. It was independently owned. And a bit of the Wild West. I didn't have a, a ton of supervision. 
and briefs would always come in. At, at this time, two briefs came in simultaneously to me and, and my creative director partner. One was for Dead Space. The other was for a Leisure Suit Larry reboot. And I fought like hell to do the Leisure Suit Larry reboot. <laughs> and at the end of the day, because I also had like this moonlighting existence in the world of, um, it's a term that, that Chuck mentioned before, transmedia, um, and alternate reality game design, and it seemed like the Dead Space brief was going in that territory, um, that it would be the better one for me to take. So begrudgingly, I let go of Leisure Suit Larry. That brief went nowhere. The project went nowhere. I I did, I did a pitch again with almost no supervision for Dead Space <laughs> and showed up and showed up in San Francisco and talked for ninety minutes, knowing that I was I either had sold it or was going to be committed. And that and that was for uh, the the website experience that came to be known as No Known Survivors. Damn. So Leisure Suit Larry, really? Wow. Could it, my life would be a lot different. <laughs> like it's a real, a lot of things. My daughter wouldn't exist. Like everything would be different if I had taken the leisure suit every brief. <laughs> so kind of speaking to the, the early days of Dead Space, uh, was what we got like with the finished product close to what was like originally envisioned? Uh, uh, strangely, um, it's one of the only products I've been on that went, um, early concept to the shipping product, almost intact. So the original idea, Glenn had a, that's because Glenn had a nice strong vision that he wanted the scariest game. Um, he knew the inspirational pieces he was pulling from that he wanted it to be, a, you know, to be um, an homage to. He had a lot of early guidance that was useful and, and focused. And all the early demos, if you see them, you can see the rig, you can see the dismemberment, you can see all the stasis and all that stuff in the, in the early prototypes on the last-gen console, as a matter of fact, we were starting on, and then we were just crossing over consoles at that time. Um, and so, yeah, literally, all the, the entire essence of Dead Space was the same from the very beginning of the understanding of the property all the way to ship. And, like, the early demo levels of, like, the asteroid, where you're that big um, gimbal is carving out the asteroid. Remember, you jump to it and you walk out into space. Yeah. That was one of our first prototypes that made it into the game. You see the early zero-G jumping made it into the game. Um, engine Room was one of our first prototypes that made it in the game. So, yeah, it's one of the only properties I've been on that didn't get completely changed in the middle of pre-production and after pre-production. It was basically what you see is what we started out making. A little weird. That's a little strange, actually. That doesn't normally happen. That's all. I mean, that's awesome, though, right? I mean, you guys clearly had a clear vision of what you wanted, and I mean, it worked out. Um, kind of back to the whole marketing side of Dead Space. I think it, everybody. Oh, go ahead. I was just gonna say if I, if I could add on just real quick before we get yeah, into the, the marketing, which you know. I'm, well, it's very excited to talk about. I just wanted to add to you know what Chuck said because again you know I could, thinking about this interview I was just reflecting a lot and you know I, a couple observations just coming into this team and, and now having worked on so many games since then is just that um, there was a real respect for the craft and the ideas across everybody involved and it was the fun people were having on that project. And I know I'm sure it was very stressful, but um, just the, you know, from the, 
UI. I remember going to uh, Dino's garage and they're, you know, working on weird stuff, which I think we may talk about later. Um, there were posters up all around with all the safety signs and teams prototyping, you know, animations, or then you get into the sound design and literally I, I everybody you would talk to on the team was so passionate and so eager to talk about what they were trying to accomplish from my perspective. And you can tell me if I'm uh, off track here, Chuck, but um, that there was a real sense of what they were trying to build and how everything added up to it uh, from the, the way that tech resources were budgeted to the lighting, to um, you know, sound animation, um, the story and the purpose that you were there as a character so that you were in a horror experience that, that felt real, you know, and, um, I think that clarity was also just there in, in the collaboration of the team and always felt like, you know, I've had few Willy Wonka experiences in, uh, (laughs) in game, but the games, but it was, it was very much like that. Yeah, we were... I was going to say that if you guys want just to finish yeah. the thought oh, out. Yeah, yeah, too. go for it. Like why, was it. why was it so clear and how is the team, that's one of the few team dynamics at that level that I've ever experienced, like Ben is saying for sure, and I, I try to carry that forward, but it was um, largely because, you know, we started out wanting to be mentor fourth star was uh, Resident Evil 4 in space because we loved that horror game and it had so many right decisions that we thought, well, let's start with that idea and put it in space. And we got to that point with our vertical slice. And then by that point, we had figured out our own DNA enough to then begin an iterative layer on top of that, where you start seeing things like, you know, we changed the controls from those slow, tanky controls to the more modern gears um, of war sort of controls. And we started figuring out Isaac was a miner and all of his weapons should be mining tools. And so this DNA of the identity started to have, you know, been cultivating, started to bear fruit. And suddenly the whole team, like Ben said, got it. They understood what the game was. They're like, oh, it's this dark, claustrophobic, immersive product. And okay, how can, how can I contribute to that? So the UI team is all you know, asking what the story is and how can they make it also scary. And the sound team obviously is super engaged in that. On cinematics team, everyone is trying to make this dark, scariest game ever, immersive you know, uh, horror property. And it just starts... Everyone starts expressing that as artists across the team. Every animator, every concept artist, every designer got it. That's why all of the whole game is so coherent, is everyone understood the rule set of the world and how to live in it. And that's why you see the game so coherent. Yeah, and one thing, and I think this will probably seg- segue to where, where you're going next, Justin, with respect to marketing. But as, as someone on the outside who was receiving, you know, receiving a brief a year before, so a year before release, when so much work had already had already been done in our end of the business in 22 years i've never i've never received materials in a brief that were that clear that clean it's easy to hit a home run when what you're when what you're getting is so consistent and the vision was so pure and thought through that it's it's it was you know it was like a blessing it remained it remains the single the single uh best and most complete brief i've received in my career and and that's because of all the work. You... That's because of all the work and what they created and, and what they <laughs> what they built internally. It meant that, and I'm not the only one who got a brief. Everyone else who. That's why everything worked so well because the symphony was conducted and and composed from the very beginning. And just before Justin was on to uh, like the promotional side and the marketing, I'm curious because the thing that 
I actually just played Dead Space for the first time about two months ago, right, Justin? So I've only played one and two. Oh, wow, how fun. Yeah, and the thing that really has struck me is the coherent story through line so far, and then the building of the lore around the aliens and everything. Was that talked and developed around the same time when you were developing, like, the world and the gameplay? Like, was that something you kept in mind? Because a lot of horror games don't keep that through line going and so far it's just been very impressive how like small things from dead space one have built up through dead space two so i'm just curious if that was like a a thought that you guys had from jump sorry justin i was just curious no no go for it yeah uh, <clears throat> um well 50 50 so it's a mix of um, a mix of craft and purpose and a mix of serendipity and a mix of of, of stuff that happened as you know so the team split in Dead Space 2, and they went off to create um, Sledgehammer, right? And so myself and Ben Monat um, inherited creative levers of control, so we had to kind of look at what we were doing in Dead Space 2. We spent about three months recalibrating the lore, because in Dead Space 1, we had put a lot of stuff together, um, and it mostly made sense, uh, but we had some holes that we had to kind of fix to make it progress into the franchise. and so. The answer is yes, it was premeditated, and as a matter of fact, we'll get to this later. We had so much material in pre-production from Dead Space 1 that it became the transmedia for Dead Space 1. The comic and the animated feature were the overhanging pre-production materials we had. So, yes, we Ben and I thought long and hard about what necromorphs were, what the ecology was, where was it going, who, what was Isaac's art going, what was Nicole's role in all that. Um, there were some bumps in the road. Talk about Dead Space 2, the ending of that might have been decided when I wasn't in the room and they kind of made a left turn. I'm like, she can't be Nicole. She can't be the enemy. Are you kidding? We've laid all this other stuff down. We had to do some stitches and stuff to make some late decisions happen. But between Ben and I, we had sort of some idea where we were driving the ship. And so, yes, the reason all that's there is that we thought long and hard about all that lore and how to keep it simple and um, mysterious at the same time. And you know, just to add it on that a bit, I think going back to what you were saying, Nick, about the brief is that, you know, in, in compliment to the brief that you had incredible concept art, you had incredible um, lore Bibles and, you know, really that went into every aspect of the world. And then you could just walk upstairs and it'd be like. Ben's drawing a monster or like, you'd be like, Hey, can I talk about like the, you know, displays and how they work and like how they don't work. And, and, you know, I think Chuck took a lot of extra effort with the marketing teams and transmedia teams to make sure that that stayed true to the vision. Um, and that the team was always like just excited to show you stuff. So, you know, the, the fact, I think one thing that, you know, and, and we, now we can, now we can talk about marketing. Uh, finally, what everybody wants to hear about. <laughs> um, but uh, the, but I think that, you know, it's such a gift for people who, you know, to be able to um, just be welcomed into a world and to have so much to work with, just as Nick was saying. So, um, yeah, absolutely. I think there's, from just from a timing perspective, there's one thing that's worth noting and this isn't necessarily anything that has to do with any of us but one of the reasons that that makes dead space so special and i think the marketing important is it was one of the last big franchise releases before social media destroyed the world 
and from one standpoint and it was at the end of the real what like single player you know twat like somewhere between eight and 15 hours investment before multiplayer and game as a service became a mandate in design like it it really like the concentric circles or concentric <laughs> if that's the right way to say it. like it was like a rarefied special time where the stars i think aligned so that it's it's i think that that's one of the reasons why the the greatness around it uh, has resonated because I think in a lot of ways it represented the the end the end of a couple of different eras. You guys can all call bullshit on that if you think if you think I'm being hyperbolic, but um, <laughs> that's what I, I think. Yeah, I, I I agree, and I think it was also a special time in the company where you know and and uh, well, and I you may have a different experience of that than me, Chuck, but I think that you know that was also a time when Mirror's Edge was happening. That was a time when Skate was happening, um, and you know it was really thrilling to see kind of new creative directions. And Chuck was talking about working on Lord of the Rings and working on. James Bond, which are also now regarded as classics, by the way. Um, but uh, the, there were the, you know, the teams were taking these creative risks and had really bold visions and clear gameplay experiences that to this day are really seen as instrumental and innovative, um, you know, from, from EA. And, and that's a huge, it, it was a really formative to know kind of like what's possible. And, and it was very cool. I also wanted to, um, you guys want, I was going to pop back and finish answering your question that Larry had asked really quick about story. Uh, if you want to edit this <laughs> or that could oh, no, fit no, in, or we kind of like wander around this glorious memory lane path. And oh yeah, back over there. Uh, just to ask you uh, about the lore and stuff and, and a couple of fun tidbits about what happened. Like the original pitch from Ben by, or from Glenn, by the way, was that this was a prime... Uh, it was a prison planet holding criminals of some type. And the marker was a marker that said that they put here and that it was like, do not come to this planet because, you know, this is containing a bunch of criminal ghosts or criminal spirits or evil things over here. And if you were to pop it out, it would release all those, you know, criminal elements or all those monsters into the world. So that had been kind of an idea. And so in the monster, in the, in the, and the marker started out as an actual alien marker to, as it grew in, scope and scale it was like okay it was holding really really like cthulhu kind of monsters and it was like stuck here in the planet and it was made from aliens and then somebody came up with a twist that was like well actually what if it was man-made so we kept adding all these twists to the lore right that were in there and by the time we got to the end of dead space one and trying to clean it out for dead space two we were like okay here's man-made is there a red one okay there's a black one and okay and there's necromorphs and what and they they put infection and they have infectors so we literally had all these pieces that we'd kind of kitchen sink into Dead Space 1 that we had to like streamline into Dead Space 2. So a lot of the ideas you see started out on a couple of iterations earlier as something else and all kind of wormed and spaghettied their way around to become the, the, the version you see now. So did, do you guys have like a, well, obviously, probably not anymore, but did you guys at one point have like a lore Bible, so to speak? <laughs> oh, absolutely. It's <laughs> about the lore Bible, so I needed to ask. Uh, yes, absolutely, we did. We, um, gosh, I, I don't remember where it is now, but we 100% had to, especially after Dead Space 1 was over, we had, to, we had to start writing for Dead Space 2 and the potential for Dead Space 3 and 4. We had to do franchise planning, so we're like, okay, what is this lore? So Ben and I literally sat down and cleaned it all up and said, okay, this is what's really true. This is what the black marker is. This is what the red marker is. This is what necromorphs are doing. These are brethren moons. And so there was a, a 
Lord Bible, you could read. I don't know if Nick and Ben, you might have seen that if you were helping us with transmedia, because I wrote all the pre, all the treatments for all the transmedia in Dead Space Two and Three, and I think we sent that out to our partners. Yeah, I definitely saw component, if not the entire thing, like 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 big chunks and components, one hundred percent. We would need to bring writers up to the entire. <laughs> Just enough for like, okay, here's what's going on. They're like, okay, what am I running at Brethren Moon? All right, let me figure what that is. Yeah, we had to bring everybody up to speed. So I I need to talk about your mom hates Dead Space. (laughs) Did you guys know (laughs) when you were kind of, I guess, pitching that or, or doing it that it would kind of, be what it is like did, did you know it was going to be this thing that i mean what years later i still remember <laughs> i don't know i have to let we were not involved in that at all of course the team was heads down in development so the marketing efforts um are are birthed in the marketing side and they bring those to us so that would be you and nick yeah, I, yeah. I, I had i had nothing to do with it i can talk i can talk to ben <laughs> all right ben what you got I, I also didn't really have that much to do with it, but I can t- I can answer your question. <laughs> okay. Um, but you know, I, I think it, that you, your mom hates dead space was a launch campaign for dead space two. And I think it's a good segue into talking about the marketing for dead space one, because they were very different. And I think that there was an effort to, you know, because Dead Space 1 was such a success to expand the market and build something, right? And um, at the time, so, you know, Nick was talking about, and, and I think it's a good transition to talk about Dead Space 1's marketing, but that was sort of the the end, or not the end, well, sort of the end of this, like, I Love Bees ARG world-building era. And then we kind of transitioned into, uh, you know, Let's make it funny, like the Geico caveman, um, which I don't think like I, I don't think that was necessarily the motivation, but I think the idea was like, how do you make this world relatable to somebody who is not going to do all this work to get into your world? And I think the assumption for Dead Space One's marketing is let's focus on the people that want to do all the work to get into this world um, and build out from that core. So they were sort of different philosophies, but I think what Dead Space, your mom hates Dead Space holds up because it is, um, you know, it was like an early moment of that. And I think one thing that's just sweet about it is it's, you know, before React YouTube channels were, you know, the uh, what they are today, it's essentially a, you know, mom's React video of 2011, right? So um, it was a little foresight into the types of, of content we'd all find ourselves uh, laughing at today. We were a little bit shocked on the team when that actually came out because the Dead Space 1 campaign was core audience focused and if you remember the the little star video that we had seen, I forget, uh, had sung for us and we had to get that they would not, you couldn't be in the games in EA because of legal reasons you couldn't have your representation or your voice in them that had to be a sag after actress or an actor she had sung it as our, like, you know, everything we did with Skunk Works. We're like, hey, look at this. We, this. we redid this, you know, this public works uh, or public domain uh, poem. And uh, she'd sung it. It had to go all the way to Rick Hello um, to get approved for it to get in the game. Like, the legal team wouldn't sign off. But it was about, you know, it was a horror child's tune being played. So we had all this concentric stuff to the core identity of the game for its marketing. And then we get to Dead Space, and it's like, your mom hates Dead Space. We're like, oh, 
could you could market it like that. So we were like we were all like a little bit stroked on our chins, going, "Wow, is that what we're going to do?" So it turned out to be quite memorable, of course, but it was such a change from the first uh, marketing campaign. We were lucky in that we were um, we did do a bunch of fun things, you know, for the core for Dead Space Two, kind of not even knowing that your mom hates Dead Space was happening. I remember going into a meeting with Chuck you know, once, and, and this idea actually started with Ben to take take the concept of Chick Tracks, the the super fundamentalist uh, religious comics, and do uh, do a unitology version. So in order to, so I remember Andrew and I and Ben was the idea started with Ben. I remember going in with like an actual box that we got from the from the Jack Chick company with like every Chick Track Chick Track in it, which you could get for about fifteen bucks. And just like laying them all out and talking to Chuck about what what the vision was going to be for the unitology. And it was one. a um, yeah. I think it ended up being about like a zero G basketball player. It absolutely, it was yeah. Like yeah. Accepting the Church of Unitology. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it and it was yeah. memories. It was ambiguous whether or not they had blown up his zero G boot on purpose so that he would land in the hospital and they could convert him. But yeah, yeah, it's the story. Right. It's the story of of a man uh, oh, finding fi- finding faith. But just like going into this little conference room and essentially dumping, you know, eleven eleven pounds of hate literature in front of Chuck, being like, "So this is what we're thinking." <laughs> what do you think? I was like, "I don't." <laughs> and he was and he was awesome. <laughs> For Dead Space One, then, since you were obviously launching a brand new horror franchise and you were trying to like aim towards the horror gaming fans did you take inspiration from like promotional materials or anything from like resident evil or silent hill or did you want to try to like maybe go like a an alien kind of path like focus more on like in space no one can hear you scream i'm just curious if 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 what your approach was to launch like a new ip um i i can maybe start on that um as the person individually responsible for all of dead spaces marketing just kidding um but you know i think honestly what was really wonderful about it is i think that we started with the game that we had and i think one of the questions that we asked early on is like this is a new science fiction horror world we need people to care about it and to be invested in what it is and again there was such a strong vision for it that there was there were so many handholds and that you know there was uh the the ship itself the you know the character the iconic character of isaac the threat of the necromorphs and then there's all this stuff under it right so um i think there was uh and then like another big thing that was innovation at time and i think a big conversation was like dismemberment gameplay and like how are we going to talk about that and make that show up in in our materials and um but uh, I'll I'll let Nick talk about that sort of from the agency side and sort of how you what you felt sort of the missions were, um, but the la- the other thing I would say is I think you know we were we were genre fans you know we were sci-fi and horror fans, and I think that since we were the audience there was something and since there was so much of this again I think just like respect for the craft and work and the production team that 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 really extended to the audience and there was you know i think a level of our audience can get this if we like give them the right keyholes and opportunities and entry points um the other thing that i really remember was just wanting to that it was more about building an excitement to sit down and play than it was 
explaining everything. So, you know, a lot of the work that we did is just building a world that you wanted to go to there. You wanted to experience. So that anticipation and mystery and stuff was, was a big component. Yeah. I mean, what, what I'll say is we really wanted to echo Ben. We really wanted to show, not tell the, the tenets of the IP were, re- were really clear. And I always look at that as a challenge. How can I dramatize this? How can I communicate it in a way that results in a feeling rather than giving information? The other thing was, and this was a responsibility I took very seriously, Dead Space wasn't it just the game. It was the first expression from what was essentially a new label in Visceral. So every choice that Dead Space, everything that Dead Space was saying, marketing was saying out into the world was also a statement around, um, not the equities, but rather just the just the the tenets, the values of of this studio within within EA, um, and it's because that all was so was so clearly communicated that it made it easy for me to come up with ideas and other agency partners that would that would dramatize the offering and the value of both the of, of the studio uh, and the game. Now, the the real non marketing version of that is like, listen, everybody who worked on this cared a lot and was really smart. Um, and was receptive to ideas. We also wanted to go big and let the audience know how much everybody, you know, cared, and that we this game was essentially being made by your people. If you're the audience for this game, your friends are essentially making it. Like, and that's I think that's that's how it felt. So when we made No Known Survivors, like at the t- at the time when you could get money for a nine chapter, nine week, extremely heavy flash driven, we basically made Mist. We basically made Mist in a flash browser <laughs> with nine chapters, actors, video. I mean, it was completely insane. Um, we Andrew and I always refer to it as as like the '60s because instead of, instead of like the free love period of marketing, it was like the free money period of marketing. And that's not that we took that stuff lightly, but it's just it and the the notion of getting budgets like that to do a centralized a centralized tactic like that, like the ship sailed on that shit shortly thereafter. Even though I mean, No Known Survivors was was you know hit all its KPIs and was really successful, but um, I'm going I'm going in circles here. But what I'm what I'm saying is everyone knew. What I think what a special moment it was, the chemistry across everyone was fantastic. And because communications were clear and the mission was was clear, the everyone hit their shot and put put great things out into the world. It's just there was so much. You don't see it. You don't see it in our business. So um, so much integrity um, and so much talent aligning around uh, around around a clear central idea. And uh, just to add to that a bit. Um... I'm, I'm glad, glad you hit those KPIs, Nick. <laughs> I'm, listen, I'm, I'm, trying, I'm trying to reform. Capitalist. But, uh, uh, but um, I think the other thing is just like, and, and I, Chuck, Chuck in particular, but, you know, again, that, that permission to embellish the world and to co-create, I think, was also very rare. And a lot of times relationships between production and marketing can be just in different states, but are rarely like a a place where there's a lot of strong collaboration there, um, at like a, like a story world building level. And, uh, you know, that they entrusted, um, these teams to tell essentially like, you know, what was happening on the Ishimura before, you know, it became a ghost ship. And that was like a big question was, you know, you're going to see this world in a state where it's empty, but like, what was it like before then, and then as as this 
sort of unfolded what it what was that experience and and that took a lot of trust you know and 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 a lot of uh stern guidance i remember a lot of conversations it's not like that i'm like blah, blah, blah. Not right no no it's um, what i also sorry, go ahead no, i was gonna tell <laughs> i was you gonna go tell ahead. i was gonna tell one quick it's just a side story but uh you know talking about just the the you know being the fan you know i, I remember one of the first things we did was we got all of uh, the production team's favorite horror films. And we bought, we went out and bought all the DVDs and then we gave them away as like a, a contest of like the, the dead space teams, horror movie collection, um, which was really fun, but sorry, Nick, continue. Oh, no, no worries. You're, you're, you're the client then. <laughs> or you, <laughs> were, you. you, or you were, uh, so it's just an example, a concrete example of what Ben was, uh, communicating there was it's er, before dead space two. We wanted to do something for the the most hardcore Dead, Dead Space One fans, so we put together a mailer, a pretty expensive premium mailer. We made a like a, a visually ambiguous, uh, as all Rorschachs are, I guess that's redundant. Rorschach with some necromorph uh, shapes, and it had a secret uh, a secret message on it, and was printed on glow in the dark paper. Yeah, yeah, it was a very cool piece. People received it and they loved it. I'm like, okay, that was our pre thing. That's done. On to the next thing. Having no idea that it was that specific Rorschach that the, the, these market guys, this agency design was going to end up in the game. I don't know if it was Chuck, if it was Ian, someone decided to take that piece and it's in the opening cinematic of Dead Space 2. That kind of like receptiveness and collaboration and like freedom of ideas, not normal, not, not the norm. Like, I, think I, I think I still have some of those mailers. Get them on eBay. So good. Yeah, well, we've... I can look at the opening and what we incorporated that in because I remember that campaign. We were like, "That's really that's that's amazing." Let's it was on the table. It's when when Isaac oh, is sitting. Yes. With the, loved it because it was really smart. It was really it was really emergent through the fiction, and it was like a really good expression of what the beat was going to be. And we were like, oh, "I'll just put this in the game." Yeah, when he's getting quizzed by the guy, it's on the table, isn't it? <laughs> that's awesome. So, I mean, you guys obviously see you all were fans of the genre and you all seem to be have had been working together so well. Did you guys know that there was something special in Dead Space like in as a series? Um, Did you know it was going to do so well and kind of find its home in so many people's memories? And like a a lot of people really look back, especially at the first two Dead Spaces uh, with a lot of nostalgia start the conversation it's you can't really say that you know that you're making a hit and you're make if you happen to be lucky enough to be making one while you're making it and juice and the magic that turns it into a hit is just everything these guys are describing and the team dynamic and how much we loved it and you know every pixel we loved on and the two beats i'll describe one of them was when we went to after we had made it and we were doing demos and we were at e3 that year which was in santa monica do you guys remember the year that they they uh, decimated E3, and it was in these hotels in Santa Monica. I don't know if you guys remember that one year. They were like, no, nah, let's not do it big. Let's do small. Let's just go to some hotels in Santa Monica. And everyone's like, okay. So we're in these little, you know, these little crawl uh, spacey booths in, in there. But we were showing the, dem- uh, showing the, you know, the Dead Space uh, 1 uh, demo to stuff. And then we got to the show. We were really hours and hours demoing it and you know, sweating ourselves to death doing it. And then as the, as the award nominations started being distributed, like one of them showed up on our booth. We were all just totally squee. We were like totally cool. And they put it on there and they walked away. We're all like, oh 
my God. And we looked at, took a picture. And we sent it back to the team. Like, look, 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 we got a nomination. And then they kept coming in. And then we kept getting nominations for Game of the Show. And, like, there was a whole, like, we ended up with, like, 13 or maybe 30s. Like, there's pretty significant amount of, of accolades hitting the E3 show. And we were like, what is happening? So we took them all. We carefully packaged them up, went back to the team. And we got back to the team. We had this big board. We were like, look, look what we got. And everyone was like, wow. I mean, the team was, you know, they were almost in tears because, been working so hard on it and suddenly it looked like it was going to be well received so we that was the first moment we thought maybe the game was going to be well received um and the other the other corollary to that is why didn't we think that to begin with well think about like the tentacle grab and like a couple of these other big scenes like those take months to develop. so by the time you've seen the gag like a joke or a horror thing for months in dailies like first eyes of it are long gone in your head and you're like oh god Sorry, this is boring and not horrific and not scary. We're terribly sorry because you just can't see it anymore. And the whole game is like that. You're polishing all these events. And so we thought, I remember at the end of it, that we had not made a scary game. And we were publishing it and we were going to tell our fans, like, we're, we're sorry. We tried to make a scary game. That was just not scary. But it's, you know, as you know, it's just packed moment to moment with all these events that when you first experience are quite frightening and white knuckly and grabby. So, you know, the dev experience blinded us to what we had actually made until the whole came out and it was this really scary game it was evidence too by i think ben were you there and maybe andrew hallway you walk down long hallway and you hear a banging sound walk to the end and you're like what is that you turn the blind corner and then there's a shadow making it a, a, a rhythm and time to the banging and you walk down that hallway we were showing this for the first time to the marketing team and they walk up down that second hallway and they clear the blind corner and there's this guy banging his head on the wall and you get close enough and he smashes his head against the wall falls down bloody he did that all the marketing guys just screamed oh my god and they were just all like oh my god oh my god and we're like okay that worked but that moment of freshness is not available to you on the dev team so (laughs) we did not know the game was full of those when we launched (laughs) and there were you know undead babies with tentacles coming out of their backs and Uh, you know that kind of you knew it was you knew it was on yes absolutely (laughs) And on that same note, um, I know Justin, when we, were, when we reviewed him on the podcast, he talked about how there was a rumor or fan theory that when you guys were designing the gore and the dismemberment and the violence that you actually looked at like crime scene photos to, for inspiration. Is that actually true? And if so, was there internal pushback? And like, do you think you could have gotten away with that today <laughs> with, with that there, kind of inspiration? <laughs> I think Ian had them um, reviewing Car Crash material i think that's what it was not, that's what it was not a lot i think and it certainly it was very it's professional material no we would not get away with that today um i don't think anybody left that with ptsd i don't think it was an issue at the time they were just sort of looking at you know what was available at the time as far as gore reference so uh, we didn't dwell on it a lot <laughs> but i think it passed through some hands for sure yeah so I, I, we don't want to like keep you guys for too long. We're trying to, we want to respect your, your time. So I, I do kind of have a two part question that you may or may not be able to talk about. Um, so obviously in 2013, Dead Space 3 comes out and that was, I mean, up until recently, the last we have heard from Dead Space. You, you had talked briefly about Dead Space 4, just mentioned it. And th- there was like kind of some stuff floating around about a potential Dead Space 4 how far into 
I don't want to say development, but like planning did Dead Space 4 get, if you're allowed to talk about it, obviously. I I guess I can now. It's years later. I don't know that it's under wraps because the studio and the franchise are both um, are both done for the moment. So after Dead Space 2, Ben and I were like, well, we don't want to go through this again where we have to sort of pick up you know, threads and rethread them and try to invent and make sure the story goes forward. So we planned Dead Space 3 and 4 from Dead Space 2. Um, Dead Space 3 then went through what you guys have seen, where some of the lore and some of the horror was all pulled back. Like, we didn't make a horror game for the most of the entirety of Dead Space 3. Until some of the focus tests came back and people were like, what? <laughs> what is this? This is not Dead Space! So we're like, ah! So we went back and started putting some horror back in. And the, 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 the story that Ben and I had uh, is mostly shows up in Dead Space 3's DLC. Like, what happens with Isaac and Carver and they get back to Earth was kind of the story. And Dead Space 3 was meant to be the third installment of Isaac's psychological break journey. And it was going to be almost like a Tyler Durden sort of a thing and an unreliable narrator. And you're like, wait, what's happening? Is, is, who's, you know, the second character was going to be Dark Isaac. And it was just going to be this, like, I don't know, what, do I know what's happening? And the, the question would continue to get bigger and bigger through the rest of that, of that Dead Space 3 until you just weren't sure, like, did Isaac survive? What happened? And Space 4 was going to be returned to Earth, and then, again, it was playing on that even more, so you're like, Isaac and Necromor, what is even happening? Is he here? Is he alive? And we were playing on the fact that he was kind of a herald of the Markers and was going to have brought the Brethren Moon to Earth as part of his destiny for having a DNA that was compatible with the Marker signal. He was kind of what the Necromorph ecology looks like, and it's prey species as somebody to help them eat the rest of the inhabited planets. Having brought the Necromorph Moons back to Earth, you know, he would be fighting his destiny. So having broken completely psychologically in three, he then faces his destiny as the, as the marker herald in four on Earth, and the dramatic question would have been whether or not he actually comes destiny or succumbs to destiny. And, um, that's as far as we got with the planning, um, which is why you see in the DLC he arrives on Earth with the Brethren Moon already there. Maybe setting that up. I don't know if I'm supposed to say all that, but that's what I know Ben and I talked about. <laughs> So then, then I guess the the second part of this question is, um, I don't I, I again don't know how much you can say or anything, but obviously this year we kind of got to look at what the next Dead Space is going to be, kind of a reboot, remake, reimagining kind of thing. Were you approached at any point in time to maybe get get involved or look at it or anything like that? No, I haven't actually. I've just recently talked to Dino Ignacio. Dino was approached by the team for that. So they did reach out to some of the members of the team who had a lot of sort of coherent, comprehensive knowledge of it. Um, and I haven't had a chance to speak to their team yet about it, but, you know, talk to Dino a little bit about it. Um, it looks pretty exciting. They're making a lot of fun stuff, and all the decisions they're talking about for the stuff they want to adopt into Dead Space 1 are the same decisions we made into Dead Space 2 about talking Isaac and the continuous camera. So pretty exciting that they're I'm looking forward to seeing it for sure so I do want to kind of get back to marketing quickly here before we kind of let you guys free um what was your favorite piece of marketing throughout the whole series because I I I, I was going to try to work in to uh talk about the I think it was a leg cake from uh Dante's Inferno <laughs> that came out of Visceral but 
you know, we, we, we can skip over that if you want and just talk <laughs> solely about Dead Space. What was your favorite kind of marketing? I don't want to say marketing push, but piece of marketing from that came from the whole series. Uh, I guess my favorite piece still remains Christine's rendition of Twinkle Twinkle Little Star. That that particular video was our first like uh, expression, I think, from the team of like the comprehensive whole of what the thematic premise of this game was. We're like, oh, it's a darkly sung children's poem with this really excellent, you know, Scott Whitney was our video editor and he put together this amazing video of it and it was this intercut, you know, increasing crescendo thing. So that I guess because it, I have fond memories of it, it has stuck in my head as my favorite piece. And there was a lot of good marketing that went on, but whatever reason, that one is like, it's <laughs> still in my heart. It, has, it stays with me. Um, I think Nick and I will have the same answer, so I'll let Nick uh, take yeah. this one. But we, I'm not, well, I'm actually going to choose things that I didn't, the, the stuff I didn't work on that I love, because I want to focus on that is, and also just give some some love to the, the stable of of people that Chuck and his team brought on the Anthony Johnsons, the Ben Templesmiths, the Brian Evansons. I'll say specifically uh, Ben Templesmiths, whose art I still follow. He's really active on Reddit, by the way. And if you're interested, he did a killer rendition. Uh, I think it was in October of 30 different Masters of the Universe characters in his wow. style, which he which he completely fucking slayed. But I'd say Ben, you know Ben's art, and, and it's just again all this stuff came from and shared DNA, and and these really really uh, talented creators were, you know, kind of empowered to put their spin on it. So there was that of the little things that like I worked on, it's a specific detail in no known survivors, which is a, uh, it's a surreal moment with a song that I think Ben and I wrote called three happy spacemen where you, where the, <laughs> a little girl, a little girl is <sighs> singing, singing while in the different phases of this card made in a child's card or her father's style. We watch, we watch her dad, uh, murder his colleagues one at a time. It's pretty. It's pretty dark. Anyway, go for it, That's Ben. <laughs> yeah, I. I mean, well, one thing is, uh, if it was a very special experience seeing the suits that were developed for conventions, also, um, and we had a great Todd Soli who would, you know, was uh, I would wear these suits and walk around. But the one for Dead Space Two was, I mean. A cinema quality prop that was like had animatronics and would open up. So like everything was loved on, as Chuck said, you know. But I, I think you know I do also just want to. Um, you were talking about do you know you're working on something special? Like working with Chuck's team and working with Nick's team on the agency side. Like we were up working. I was young and I was just like, video game marketing is awesome. This is like going to get, and it's not all like that. And sometimes it is, but you know, just working, you know, especially Nick and Nick's team, um, just the kinds of choices and the level of detail that, that was gone into, whether we're talking about chick tracks or these, you know, mailers that we were doing or the, the no known survivors experience. It was that we were really, um, trying to do it with care and um that the level of collaboration across all those teams was just you know so fantastic and 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 inspiring always and just a, a lot of fun um and i think it ended up showing uh through to to the players um and hopefully you know helped um get them excited to to play uh, a classic a classic game those suits 
You know, dude, I did the first Dead Space suit. Like, the second one was obviously professionally done by literally a Hollywood studio that does Iron Man, you know, Iron Man suits for the screen. We had sort of skunkworked the first one, and we found, you know, we got most of those pieces made. But, like, I was literally sewing leather and putting all that stuff together for that first suit and putting snap-ons for those pieces. Like, we love the game so much. We were like, yeah, we're going to go to Comic-Con, and we're going to take this Isaac cosplay. And it was, like, it was... It was so awesome skunk work for that. Fun to do. So one funny. Uh, oh, I just had one one quick funny thing because I meant to say this before. Ben was talking about dismemberment, and I just remember in all the documentation, and this probably came from marketing people internally at EA who are in us, but the way that it was always framed as a tenant was strategic dismemberment. dismemberment. I, I knew you were going to say that. I want, I want to make sure that we're specific. <laughs> there was no role for dismemberment that wasn't strategic. <laughs> <laughs> Random or kind or, you know, accidental dismemberment, those things are right out. It's only strategic dismemberment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I do want to say, uh, whoever thought of just the, the very simple cut, uh, what is it, cut off the limbs? Mm -hmm. was like th that was genius i mean that's kind of a staple I, I mean obviously it's a staple of the series but whoever thought of that in just a specific way they had it written up on that wall it was amazing we were mostly worried about because it was a new mechanic zombie games or headshots we were anti-headshots it wouldn't do any good you had to cut off the limbs and we were afraid that it was so um contravening to the trope of our genre that we like okay we really have to message this or people aren't going to know each of the necromorphs is a little puzzle that you play with your plasma cutter and other weapons. So we were we were pretty fixated on trying to uh, top feed that as your experience, so you would understand this game was about cut off the limbs. <laughs> well, and I, yeah, I mean, I think it's such a good example of intention. I remember talking with the team about like, well, you know, you put a big doorway and then you put a light through the doorway and people don't go through it, and then you put a sign over it that says, you know, walk through this doorway and people don't go through it. Another thing that was, you know, a big innovation again along the UI tracks was the the wayfinder handpoint, oh, you know, and things that have amazing. like a, a big legacy in game design. And you know, all of those things were very intentional. And the sound direction and the art direction was all giving the player what they need without overburdening them with a bunch of, you know, uh, uh, information that was pulling them out of the experience, which needed to immerse them. And and like that's. Again, it's just the, the craft, the level of craft there is it, it really deep. It was super cool how in like Dead Space 2, you guys took that UI and built upon it further and allowed you not just to like find where you need to go, but like if you need to go back to a station to upgrade your, your materials or go to a shop or whatever. Like that was it just showed like you were like constantly trying to make the game better. Even though the first one was great, like there were small things you could work on and that from someone who gets lost in games a lot, that was very helpful. <laughs> a lot of that too is sorry, Justin, go ahead. Oh, no, no, go for it. I was just going to, to build on what Doom was saying, too. We talked about earlier the cohesion of the game, and, like, one of the pillars for horror, because we studied horror, was immersion is one of the things, if you study the cinema, cinematic version, it's like, how do you stay inside and attached to the protagonist? And in the game, it's the same thing. So the UI in the game is very fourth wall breaking, and it's colored the screen, and so we were, that's how you, we came to all these final decisions about the rig on his back, and having the counter on the gun, and, like, and we put all the UI diegetically in the game. And how about, oh, if they never pauses when the thing came up. So all those decisions were streaming out of this coherent idea of immersion, which came from a study of horror. 
again, the, the coherence of the design you can see is really having second and third order impact on all these things that we can talk about now. Um, and that Wayfinder was an answer to the crappy map because I, I was in charge of the UI at some point and was like, map is not working. It's just like, I'm lost. And Andre, Michael Condry was all over me about it. He's like, fix this map. And I was like, ah, dude, I don't know about this map. And he's like, he, of all people, Michael Condry, I love that guy too. And he's like a dev manager. He's not a producer or creative, right? Like he's one of the senior guys. He goes, all right, we're going to do this Wayfinder. And he came up with this thing. And I'm like, what are you, it's a new feature. What are you talking about? We're cutting stuff at this point. And he like just uses his, uh, his ability to, you know, strike the pin on the stuff and puts in this, this Wayfinder idea. And I was like, well, Thank God for that, because that saved our bacon several ways. But again, you know, in service of immersion. So, did you guys at any point in time, like before the release of the first one, like like I guess focus test, um, Dead Space? Boy, did we! I I was doing. I was in charge of the focus testing for a little while on that as well. Um, and yes, as a matter of fact, the only reason that we have the controls that you see now in the first Dead Space that are slightly less Resident Evil Four tanky, where you back up and have to hold. Like it took me three focus tests, beat over the head of the stakeholders that said we cannot ship Resident Evil controls because most of the world is played at this point. Um, uh, not Gears of War, um, um, Halo. All those games have become intensely popular, and our player base had become way, way used to those controls. And we were in these legacy controls, and so it took a lot of focus tests to break us from that. We used focus tests intensely to to help us make sure that we were making any mistakes like that. So, absolutely. All right, so oh, go ahead, Nick. Uh, I guess I would just say, at the end of the day, I was just—I'm kind of just thinking to myself here—is that the game, the franchise, and especially the first game, really, really feel like an and like a, a work of authorship. Like it feels like an auteur vision, but it was actually the product of a hive mind, which is ironic, of course. And it's like that just doesn't happen. You don't get so many people, and you don't get mass like mass market AAA media product out there with so many different people contributing to its DNA and have the product uh, seem so uh, just so complete, so whole, so consistent. And then that's what I think that's what I think for me anyway is the, is the miracle of, of the game and the franchise and just and how just want to say how grateful I was to play a, a small a small part in that. A special team and a special time to be sure. It was a really you know, it's, it's always stressful to make the games. Like, unquestionably, game dev is like this, oh, my God, what have I done to myself? But when you're on a team and it's working and singing like that and everyone's getting a chance to express and be just what you came to the industry to be, marks a special point in your career. All right, so unfortunately, as our hour wraps up, a uh, couple of the last questions are, what are you guys working on now? And then, um, just for the fans and for us, what is the biggest part of the Dead Space history or your time with it that like, you'll never forget? Like, What is your number one memory of being a part of a franchise that really kind of changed horror gaming? And you guys can decide who wants to go first. I can, I can go. Um, uh, my name is Ben. I'm now uh, at Ubisoft, and I've uh, uh, just had my 10-year anniversary at Ubisoft. So still still working on these games and uh you know it's still uh a joy and i'm still so honored to get to work um with great um talented development teams and artists and and storytellers um and 
for uh, my special memories, you know, again, it's just this, I, I think exactly sort of as Nick was saying, as, as people would say, it was a vibe. And, uh, you know, I was very young and I just thought that was the world. And um, for me, just having, you know, again, just the privilege of being a very small part of it um, was just an experience I'll keep with me uh, for my whole life. I'm very grateful for it. I guess I'll go. I, uh, so I'm currently at the mill. Um, I've got some big personal project news coming, but I'm not quite ready for that yet. And you guys know about Video Palace. And also I think about the book I wrote on The Sopranos, um, which came out last year. So I always have a bunch of shit going on. And just from it, but it was a, it was a, it was a major, it was a pivotal shifting. It's a major shifting point in my career and life that I'll always be grateful for. And I've worked with Ben since then. I've worked with Andrew, uh, uh, consi- like consistently, like I'm almost on a month, you know, uh, not necessarily every month, but very, very consistently over the last, uh, 12 years. So I'm, I'm just grateful for the time and the relationships and the opportunity. It's, uh, it was, as I said, it was, it was very, very special. You don't take like, when you get to be middle-aged, you don't, you don't take shit like that for granted. <laughs> uh, I'm Chuck. I'm currently at Scopely Games working on, I've moved over to mobile space. I'm currently working on an unannounced new title that I can't talk much about, but I'm the narrative director over there. And I am bringing all of the lessons and love from Z Space dynamic into my current team. So any luck. Uh, the game that we publish will have the same amount of uh, heart that the fans felt in Dead Space for this property. So that's by far my favorite thing is that I can vibrantly remember in my bones what Dead Space felt like when the deck plates were humming and the ship was going at full speed. I try to bring that over everywhere I go. Um, and uh, and for my... Yeah, for my favorite experience maybe isn't in horror but it was on just dead space in general uh for like seven years working so you know cheek to jaw with them or not and um just sitting in the conference rooms and the whiteboards completely full of our like frantic scribbles of us trying to sort out the story and the lore and the beats and where's the inciting incident like those late nights um trying to figure that out and and it's and assess at the end of a three-day pitch to find the right answer like that creative moment in your brain that you live for. So I think that whole process over all those years, like my, my favorite memory of the entire thing. I think. All right. So last thing we have then, uh, thank you for coming on. We appreciate it. I, I, I have just played the game for the first time this year. I've loved them. Like I think I described it as it felt to me like Silent Hill met Legend of Zelda, like with the horror, the crafting mechanics. Like I literally love one and two. I'm really excited to play three. Um, so we always give people a time if you want to plug your social media accounts or where people can follow you and find more about you. Um, the floor is yours, whatever you want to talk about. Um, our audience would love to hear and, and to interact with you. So too old to have a constant following right now on my social media account. <laughs> but I do want to know, Larry, what you think when you play Dead Space 3. I we wrapped up the lore, I think, in the now maybe Dead Space 3 is not as loved on. It's got some, of course, obvious design issues and some stuff with identity, you know, with pressures from capitalist version of it. But I'm interested in what you think of the lore at the end, because we did bring the master lore all the way to fruition. 
Um, and I managed to make Dead Space, the word, to finally tie out. Ben did, Glenn did not want that at the beginning. And I was like, it kind of makes sense. So it actually gets a beat there in Dead Space 3 where you understand why the franchise is called Dead Space. And I'm interested to uh, play it if you pick up on all that. That's really cool. And also knowing, obviously, your love of Fight Club. I also love Fight Club. Um, and knowing that you kind of were taking that, the, the, the narrator's journey and giving him a Tyler Durden. Because I, I knew that there was a co-op method, which Justin and I thought we can't actually do together because the servers are down. So we can't actually play together, which is a bummer. Mm. Um, so I'm very curious to kind of take that into mind, too, because I also love Fight Club, the movie. And to, to know that you kind of put that thought into it, I'm, I'm very, very excited. We wanted to put that thought into it. I, okay. It, okay. It actually okay. did not. None of that made it in. He ended up being a shaved-headed Marine um, okay. that talks. And, I, and the character actor that did it, um, Prince Dill, I love that guy. He did a great job with it. But that's not quite the character or the arc that we had in mind for that. So Okay. I make it in. But... Uh, <laughs> If we get to remake Dead Space 3, we'll have a different story for what was published. Well, if you get to remake Dead Space 2, I just want to do more with the Space Mall on Titan Station, because I fucking loved all the stores on the Space Mall so much. <laughs> oh, man. I named the, it. The kids' area was just terrifying. The, the daycare or whatever, when you're walking through that, that was Ooh. something that will stick with me for a long time. Yeah, dude, that, that, some of that stuff, Ian Milham was our art director, and my, he kind of was a creative director, ultimately, in the end, and some of those things where he had a really good vibe of what made horror stuff, and like the whole Ishimura level in Dead Space 2, where you go for 10 minutes without hearing anything, like, that was him holding King's feet to the fire, like, don't, no, we're not putting anything in this, and we're sitting in Daddy's like, it's quiet, how, it's, how can this be Dead Space, nothing's happening, he's like, just trust me. It well, it goes like, back to the work you guys did in Dead Space 1 where, like, going back to the Ishimura and being there again, like, it was, like, revisiting a friend, but, like, it was different, and you you're, you knew that there was bad stuff here, and, like, you said, that <laughs> 10 minutes of just, like, waiting for it to happen, it was it was brilliant gameplay. Brilliant yeah. gameplay. That came out really good. I give all the credit to Ian on that. The Here's Johnny podcast is brought to you by Larry and Justin. You can find the show on Twitter at Here's Johnny Cast, and you can find Larry at Beaver LA. You can find Justin at Pickle Thing, and you can email the show at Here's Johnny Podcast at gmail.com. You can look us up on Facebook at Here's Johnny Podcast. As always, in the show notes, you can find links to the Discord and to the website. We are also on Instagram at Here's Johnny underscore podcast. Also in the show notes, we'll have a link to the Twitch and YouTube channels. And if you would like to support the show, you can head on over to patreon.com slash Here's Johnny podcast. Every cent goes into the show. And yeah, we just really use it to make the show better. Again, I just want to say thank you very much to our patrons. Uh, you guys help make this possible. But yeah, Patreon is the way we support the show. We are looking to get rich. And like Justin said, every dollar, every cent, it all goes back in. There's some pretty cool tiers, so head on and look at that. But until next week, see you guys later.